Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode four of the Flying V Anaheim Ducks podcast. I'm your co-host Anthony Ciardelli. Sitting across from me, as always, is Kent Huskins. Kent, how you doing? Good, thanks. Good. Yeah, we're just at the coffee shop here. Got a massive uh, cleanup going on here today, so it was one of those days where we just had to uh, shut things down for a day and and just uh, give a good deep clean. So um, Bree and Gina are here uh, working hard. Yeah, if you hear if you hear some uh, some sounds in the background, that is the cleanup effort going on. But uh, obviously, went for uh, important uh, business event for Kent yesterday. Grew, grew some coffee business. It sounds like. Yeah, we had a great time down in uh, Great Park yesterday, working with Five Point. Um, yeah, big event, kind of launching some of their new neighborhoods are under construction, and and uh, as they kind of come available, they have these uh, open house type. Uh, events in the various neighborhoods but it's a very very cool community down there and everyone should go check it out nice well getting to the hockey we're going to talk about the first two preseason games or excuse me not preseason games the first two regular season games believe it or not we are already in the regular season and the ducks face the arizona coyotes uh, a couple days ago at honda center and last night got their second victory of the season over san jose of course we are on the believe podcast network and here on the believe podcast network southern california's number one podcast network it's the only place with a show for every team in southern california and more we believe in our teams do you believe so yeah of course we had to plug our very gracious podcast host where they get us out on all of the important uh, networks, all the important podcast directories, that is iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn, as well as their own website, Believe, Believe.com. And you can find them on their social media at Believe Podcast. And you have my social media at Deli Meet on Twitter, excuse me, on Instagram, and at Deli Tweets on Twitter. And Kent, you want to give them yours again? Yeah, the old Instagram, uh, Huskverna, H U S K underscore V E R N A. Um, yeah, I did not come through on my uh, goal of last week of posting, but uh, I took some pictures yesterday, so <laughs> putting those <laughs> fascinating content out there. There shortly. we go. Well, it sounded like you had a busy week, so uh, we're not going to get after you for that. <laughs> so let's get into game one. Ducks beat the Coyotes 2-1 uh, to one in that game, and uh, really an interesting, I think, first glimpse at what the Ducks are trying to do under head coach Dallas Eakins. Quick impressions. Obviously, a lot of people notice defense joining the offense. That was a huge point. A lot of people, social media, a lot of fans, everybody noticed the willingness for the defensive core to get up in that offense. You saw Cam Fowler with that really nice goal, winning goal. Yeah, it was kind of our first look at the, the, full, the full lineup and um, 
really see how, how things hold up against a, another full NHL lineup. So I think it was great. You're always going to have those opening night jitters. Everyone's going to be a, a high-energy environment, so you're going to have uh, everyone at kind of the, the gas tanks or at absolute uh, full maxed out uh, capacity. So I, I think it can be scrambly at times early, early in the season until the systems get in place. But I thought it was a great game, high energy, and uh, yeah, it was great to see the Ducks come out with a nice home win to start the season. Yeah, it was interesting to me to see the new style of play that everybody was thinking Eakins was going to come out with, which is puck possession, speed. You kind of saw it in fits and starts against Arizona. There were definitely moments where the defense joined the rush, where there was uh, more, I'll say, uh, more poised play with the puck in in an area where a forward might have already dumped it deep against Carlisle. They were holding it a little longer, waiting for that extra pass. Uh, I noticed one particular example on the point. I believe it was Larson uh, before, I, th- I think it was before the Fowler goal, he kind of, he, he had a chance to dump it in and he kind of paused for a second, made a quick little short pass just to kind of the high slot. Uh, and if it wasn't before that goal, it resulted in a really good offensive opportunity. And, and he had the puck in a, in a pretty dangerous area to be holding on to it, where I think you would know better. Carlisle might have said, like, hey, get it deep. You can't turn the puck over within five. I mean, it's horrible to turn the puck over right by your offensive blue line. But right. he, he kind of held it, made a nice tape-to-tape pass, and that generated some offense, whereas uh, a dump might have just ended in a turnover. So I don't know. Did, did you notice the, any of that during the game? Yeah, you can at least see the the kind of the philosophical uh, principles that they look more puck possession and willingness to make plays, and that's uh, definitely falls on the person with the puck, but also on uh, the four other guys on the ice. Like puck possession game is a five-man uh, kind of goal out there um, as a unit, so everyone else has to be working hard to provide puck support, and uh, that kind of allows guys to have the confidence to hold on to the puck an extra second, even in uh, like the high-risk areas. If, uh, yeah, when you're when you're back up against the the blue line and the offensive end, and you know if, if if things go wrong, you're getting an odd man rush the other way and probably giving up a pretty good scoring opportunity. But uh, that's kind of the live by the sword, die by the sword uh, philosophy of the puck possession game. So um, when it works out, it looks great, and it's uh, it's a lot of hard work kind of behind the scenes. But uh, yeah, and and then I think it doesn't hurt that you have. Uh, Gibson or Miller kind of, um, you know, you have that safety valve back there. And I thought uh, Gibby was unbelievable the first two games. Yeah, absolutely. He was, he, both of the, I'll say more the San Jose Sharks game, which we'll get to a second, was kind of weird in terms of their, uh, the offensive chances against. And and Gibson, I think, against San Jose had a, had a, from the, just from the eye test, had an amazing game in terms of some of the saves he made. He robbed a couple players on point-blank chances. The Arizona game, he just looked more like he was in a like positionally sound game. He wasn't, he wasn't, I mean, that's just his, his type of goaltending style, but he, it was the type of game where you don't notice quite how good he is, but at the end of the night, it's, it's a one, he lets up, he lets in one goal and the Ducks win. And like, that's what, I mean, I think besides the 10 bell saves he makes, that is an important facet of his game, just positionally sound, fundamentally sound goaltender that uh, really does his job every night. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, that's a great point. And when you have um, nights like that where you don't really notice the, the, the 10 bell saves, sometimes that's when a goaltender is really on, like you said. Like they're, they're just kind of in the zone positionally reading the play, knowing where the, have a good feel for where the puck's going to go. And 
um, yeah, just working their, their angles and just kind of relying on their positioning. And, um, but yeah, I mean, last night, a couple of those saves, I mean, I was there, um, up in the press box watching, so you don't kind of get the, the benefit of all the, the television replays, but just some of those saves from last night were incredible and at key times too, which is so important. Yeah, and uh, another point that I, I noticed in both of the games, but especially in Arizona, uh, rolling four lines. The fourth line had a great game against the Coyotes. Derek Grant came out of House of Fire. I mean, he scored that goal that he set up, basically started the play himself, exiting the zone, making that nice play uh, pass, I think it was to Devin Shore, then following up on the rebound and scoring. That was, I mean, that was a beautiful play over there. It was it was a little bit of everything. Started the, started the play with a nice pass, of kind of finesse, heads-up play, and then finished it with just crashing the net hard. Hard, a typical fourth line grinder goal but one that I think if you expand that type of production out to the whole season and that type of play will help Eakins out a lot rolling four lines and just keeping everybody rested yeah absolutely I think the uh, the distribution of minutes in the first couple of games of what we're seeing and and when you have an effective fourth line it's such a such a difference maker and such a key component of that that's just kind of and kind of uh it's sneaky important over over the course of an 82 game season and um definitely probably even more so in the playoffs think back to our uh 07 run what a what a huge uh, important role the fourth line played and our third line as well but uh i mean i guess we're talking about the fourth line today so like with mayday and and uh, sean thornton and and those guys just going out and giving you the great minutes and providing that uh the, the physicality and just the just giving you those quality minutes, and it's such a lift for the team when the when the so-called fourth line gets out there, and 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 just yeah, can give you those those good minutes and really give you team momentum. And I, I think another good case in point of that uh, a little more recently was last year in the playoffs with the St. Louis Blues. You saw a veteran guy like uh, Alex Steen, um, a career scorer, first line power play guy. Um, it's basically accepted a role as a, a fourth line center I think he still played some power play and stuff like that but uh, with him and Barbashev and I can't remember the third guy's name but uh, I think just hearing the interviews and and uh, just watching the team and seeing how dominant that fourth line uh, was um, and how they were able to kind of be the difference maker in, in multiple uh, games during their playoff uh, success last year I think that's just another telling sign of how important the fourth line is and uh, that's really, uh, really great to see. Um, yeah, Derek Grant's been been great both nights. He was great again last night, and then uh, sprinkling um, Deloria. I thought had a great game. Obviously, had the fight um, last night, which is always great. Always great for the team. The boys love that. Um, really good, good fight with uh, with Dylan last night, and I thought, yeah, he brought a brought a great uh, some great energy the whole fourth line was buzzing last night great energy um, all great skaters which is uh, important I thought the Ducks looked fast the first two games and I think that's uh, a good sign yeah and the Delorier fight uh, we'll transition over to the San Jose game now the Delorier fight uh, if you see the slow-mo at the end you kind of see what a what are the many job hazards the linesmen have because Dylan almost got him in the uh in the no-go zone with a punch that he was trying to punch Delorier and punched him right in the upper thigh and you can see the the linesman kind of grimacing and going like don't really don't read lips but you're like oh god poor guy <laughs> yeah it was funny when you sent me that last night I was watching it in the press box kind of had a bit of a chuckle but yeah the fists get flying in there anything can happen but uh 
Yeah, luckily there was there was no kind of critical blows there last night. No, definitely not. But one thing I think, uh, uh, another greater point that uh, especially applies to the San Jose game last night was the difference in defensive philosophy that uh, that people are seeing, I think, from Dallas Eakins. When he was in Edmonton, he was kind of criticized for this. Uh, people kind of made jokes about this his defensive uh, scheme, which they called the swarm, which was basically uh, aggressive ag- aggressive defensive zone where they, they try to get two, two-man matchups, uh, trying to force turnovers and break the puck out, and that really caused a problem because it left a lot of guys open in front of the goal. It, uh, Edmonton was not good defensively, and he... Not only was he criticized but he, for that, but he was criticized for trying to, I think, um, institute an overly complicated defensive scheme for a team that didn't have good defensive fundamentals. Uh, and I think it's the opposite here. I mean, I, I noticed the first two nights for the Ducks, I don't know if you agree, that they had a very – they kind of sat back. They weren't really per- over-pursuing in the corners or, I mean, even anything close to that, that kind of swarm defensive scheme that he had before. What, what, what did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think the reasoning, uh, the reasoning behind the swarm. I mean, I get, but uh, yeah, I don't think there's ever any need to reinvent the wheel as far as uh, defensive zone coverage. I, I think basically simplifying and uh, communication's always been key, and just. Um, yeah, I, I don't mind kind of leaving guys out when they're in the quiet areas. Um, obviously, if, if you have a chance and you see a guy's um, numbers where you have an opportunity to, to close and take away the, the favorite lingo of uh, time and space, which everyone's <laughs> always fighting for, time and space. But um, if you can uh, have an opportunity to, to close and have a chance to strip a guy of the puck or finish your check so your third guy can get in there and, and provide support. But, yeah, I mean, early in the season, there, there's, yeah, like I say, no need to reinvent the wheel or any need for any kind of super complicated I think just solid D zone taking away the the grade A chances and the the prime scoring areas and and leaving the rest to kind of sort itself out yeah I think it's it's definitely looked good I thought they looked well organized Uh, I thought their specialty teams I think the the PK from what I saw last night looked very well organized power play I thought they were moving it around well uh, as well so um, and just Overall, like I mentioned before, I thought the the puck support. I felt like you noticed when when guys on Anaheim had the puck, um, there was always support, and I, I thought the guys did a good job of of finding the you know, making the correct plays with the puck when they had it. But it was also everyone else doing a great job, and it seemed well organized. Everyone was kind of spacing was good throughout the ice, and um, yeah, I thought they looked they looked solid. Brian Hayward on the broadcast harped a lot on their regroups, uh, especially in their defensive zone, which I think you're getting to it. He was everybody was in their lane. They was making short, quick passes, and uh, that enabled them to to leave the zone with speed and and cross a neutral zone at a high speed. How I mean that how difficult is that if, to defend against? First of all, if you're a defenseman, and how important is that overall just just for a, a, in a game? I mean, it's huge, and uh, as a defenseman, I, I think. Uh, a lot of the onus on, on those regroups when you see the puck going back to the D or the D with the puck behind the net for a, a breakout. You, the onus is usually on the defenseman to make the correct plays, but um, I, I think as a team, when you're going back to the five-man units, it's so much of it is just skating, all five guys skating and working to get in their right, uh, the right lanes and provide support and get in the right right spots so I, I think you saw that so obviously they're making the great decisions with the puck and 
you know, I, I know people get restless with the D to D, back to D, and back to D sometimes, <laughs> but you're, what you're really doing is just kind of buying yourself time. And I, Personally, I don't mind that because um, if you have the puck, the other team doesn't have it. So that's kind of a di just a different form of uh, controlling the game and controlling the pace. I thought last night was an exciting game and play an exciting style, and you have to be willing to, to give up stuff sometimes. But um, like I, I know we were texting during the game last night, and, and you just um, Gooley jumping up in the play on a, it's like know, a three on two, just the... flying by guys <laughs> in the neutral zone, just jumping up to make it an almost two on one in the third period of a game that they're up, but you love seeing that, that aggressive play and that, that's just a mentality that I think you, you've seen uh, so far this year that I, I really like it. He, he looked almost like Super Mario, uh, not, not Mario Lemieux, like the actual Super Mario when he gets one of those stars in the video game. He's like, da -da -da, the music speeds up and he's like flying past everyone. And then not only did he join that rush, but that, that rebound kind of deflected out and the Sharks transitioned. And sure enough, Gooley was back on defense, like flew right back. It was, it was really showcasing his, his speed and quickness right there was amazing. Yeah, and having having such a, a premium on skating in the new NHL, it, um, yeah, you see you see the skating on display every once in a while, and you understand why um, they, they've given him this opportunity. And I think it, it's well earned. You hear how he did in fitness testing, and and basically tested through the roof in camp, and um, the opportunity to play and uh, play with Cam Fowler and play some prime minutes and. You just see that the, the skating on display is just a, at an elite level. And uh, yeah, I think he's uh, definitely, it um, looks like he's pressed with the puck a couple times and that's normal. I mean, he's only played 20 some odd NHL games in his career, but I, I think you just see the potential. And with that skating, I mean, you're gonna be able to skate yourself out of trouble uh, and, uh, and compensate for any and he kind of miscues with the puck, and, and that's definitely going to settle down the more more experience he gets playing uh, in the NHL. Going back to the kind of the defensive zone system, I, I was thinking last night while I was watching the game that I was like, man, the Ducks must be out shooting the Sharks by a lot, and it was not necessarily the case. The Sharks got a lot of got a lot of shots on, but I think that that sitting back that difference in defensive style it, it helped if you look at the heat maps from the game that you can find on different websites all their shots the shark shots were from like high out in the point they got a couple chances but the the scoring chances that the the i mean the advanced stat community calls them the high danger scoring chances but the really good scoring chances were far in favor of the ducks and i think i mean it, Last season, their first couple games, they won, but they were giving up a lot of shots, a lot of chances. Gibson was just under siege last season. This season, they're still giving up a lot of shots, but it doesn't feel like the same type of pressure in the defensive zone that they were experiencing before. And I think this type of game is sustainable versus the type of game they were winning with at the beginning of last season. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, yeah, that, that's true. I, I felt the same way last night being there in the game. It felt like the... The Ducks had a lot of chances, and uh, yeah, maybe some of those missed the net, so they don't count as shots. And but yeah, I definitely felt like, especially, um, I mean, in the second period, they were just kind of coming in waves and, and had had uh, the Sharks hemmed in there for extended periods of time, and just were able to create some turnovers through the neutral zone and bring those back in for uh, for some prime scoring chances. And um, yeah, I, th I thought overall, yeah, they they're. The, the way they carried the play, I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge advocate of, uh, of, of analytics and advanced stats when it comes to hockey, but I think I, this would be one case where I definitely could, 
I think that's an accurate appraisal of the game last night in terms of the scoring chances. And yeah, I really liked the way the Ducks played last night. I think that that was a case where you could kind of see the system that Eakins was using and they're, they're kind of getting used to it and, and limiting just really the, the, the really difficult scoring chances that, that sometimes are to defend. Uh, and then for the San Jose game, I think offensive player that stood out in both games but got on the score sheet against San Jose was, was Kasha. He just, I mean, two nice passes. He intercepted that, that uh, accident, we'll call it, behind the net by Aaron Dell and just put it right out front uh, for an easy goal. Um, and then had that pass also for the for to spring. Uh, I forget if it was Getzlav or if the Henrik goal, but yeah, I think it was it was the Getzlav goal, right? Yeah. Um, two nice passes there to get some a couple primary assists. So he's looking good. I think can't be understated how important he is to this team. Yeah, absolutely. I thought he looked great. I think the Ducks just looked fast for whatever reason. I thought, uh, yeah, the fourth line. I thought Rowney had had some nice chances there last night. That whole fourth line was uh, was really buzzing. Yeah, Kasha was great. You know, I'm a little biased um, for the for the veteran veteran uh, <laughs> presences out there. I got to give a shout out to uh, Joe Thornton. I thought Jumbo was, was the Sharks' best forward last night. Um, thought he had a really a strong game and what kind of seems like a some building frustration there after the first three games but uh to see him getting it done like that like he still does set up any number of guys last night had a great game and then uh nice to see Getsy with a, a nice goal there last night and i thought he was made great decisions with the puck all night um as always and uh yeah i thought the the veteran guys were, were doing doing great there last night, so I always like to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Getzlav especially, I thought had a very good game. I noticed him a lot, just off the puck too. He looked good. He was in the he was good positionally. I mean, obviously he's a he's gonna have his number retired in the Honda Center after, so it's not like I'm saying anything amazing there. But uh, <laughs> he was uh, he he did look good, and then. Um, we're maybe not on the shark side, not so much a veteran, but uh, we were talking a little bit about the the goal that Henrique scored. But like, what happened with Kevin LeBanc? We were both wondering, and you thought he might have been injured. He he was at the end of a long shift, but that was kind of a poor effort. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I I thought I know there was a big collision in the neutral zone there, um, and I thought it must have been him because there was just kind of a a puck race, and I mean that that's happened. Uh, it happened to me before when you get uh, leg cramps and your legs just won't move. And uh, so so it does happen and, and you never, uh, I mean, these guys are all elite athletes. And I think, uh, I believe he might be probably the biggest bargain uh, in the NHL with the contract he signed for them last year after what what the, the last couple of seasons he's put together and, and the player he's, uh, he's become and, and continues to get better and what do you have like four points in two minutes against Vegas last year in that in that big comeback so I mean he's he's a phenomenal player so you just want to give the benefit of the doubt that there was uh, some kind of muscle cramping there but uh, first game of the season yeah I guess guys are still still finding their legs and at the end of a leg shift sometimes you just have nothing left but uh, yeah that was a 
we'll just call that an amazing effort by uh, by Adam Henrique there and a, a beautiful goal and uh, a key one to, to give that two-goal cushion for the Ducks going uh, kind of at the end of the second period. Absolutely, and Gibson really held strong there. I think it was, was it Sorensen? He had that kind of kick save on, it was his first yeah. save, and then right up right in the middle in front of the net, he stuck out his leg. It was a beautiful save. I think probably his best so far in the two games this season. Yeah, and timing is everything there. Just at a, at a key point in the game, we had a big save like that. That just makes all the difference in the world for a team. All right, so the Ducks are 2-0. and They're heading into their next game this coming week. Uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, – we'll just preview it a little bit. I think it's going to be an interesting set of games. They're on the road. They're going to Detroit and then back-to-back against Pittsburgh and Columbus. I mean, that's going to be a, an interesting test for them. Uh, obviously, their first long road trip, they've got, they've got uh, a younger, younger roster now. That I mean, they played in the NHL last season, but they're, they're going to have to get used to these road trips. I'm going to be interested to see when Ryan Miller plays. You would think he'd play in one of the back-to-back games, um, Pittsburgh and Columbus. Uh, and then, yeah, see, seeing how the Ducks hold up against a team like Pittsburgh, which uh, I believe they split with last season. Or um, I know they had that. I was at the game they lost in kind of a devastating fashion where they went up by a couple goals, and then Pittsburgh just ran them over in the second half of the game. Uh, and that was, I think, the first game where people were like, come on, where, why is Randy Carlisle still the coach? Uh, so I don't know. I won't call Pittsburgh the boogeyman, but obviously they're a good team. And I think after last season, they, the, the Ducks have something to prove against them. Yeah, I think it'll be a great test when you get out on the road early in the season. Um, yeah, I think uh, goaltending is going to be huge. But, yeah, it's going to be a good test for, uh, for some of these young guys and playing in more prominent roles and playing, uh, playing up kind of in the lineup. And so that means you're playing against uh, better players. So, um, you know, getting minutes against the Crosbys and the Malkins and uh, – and, and the, the higher end guys and the, the forwards playing up on those um, top two lines, you're all of a sudden going to be playing against the top top four D. And um, yeah, it's a diff- different atmosphere on the road. You throw the travel into the mix early in the season. Um, but yeah, it's a good test. Yeah, I think uh, I think that it'll be a good test. But also, Detroit and Columbus are probably not going to be. I mean, arguably not playoff teams this season. So they they get to go on the road. They get. I think I think you'll see. If, if the Ducks can win two of those three games, maybe against Detroit and Columbus, but you'd like to see, I think, two out of three on this road trip realistically, and then I think they're heading in a really good direction to start the season. Yeah, I think it's always a, a good test for a team um, as far as mentality-wise. And I mean, it's a little early to be talking about pressure, but when there's there are games that you're expected to win if you want to have any level of success, and I would say that probably the – the Detroit game, it's a little early to place expectations, but that would, out of those three, yeah, that would be the one where you're um, probably um, thinking of those three games, that would probably be the best chance at a, a win, and you obviously would want all three, but um, the Detroit game kind of jumps out of those three teams, a, a good a, opportunity for some points, but then when you get in there, I mean, you're, you're still playing against an NHL lineup, and uh, if you don't uh, execute and bring your best foot forward, then uh, anything can happen. All right, so let's get into the final segment of today's podcast, our three stars of the podcast, we'll call it. And today we're going to go with a little bit of a positive bent on things. So I want to know from you, Kent, who are three of your most influential people that helped you in your career in the NHL, whether it be players, coaches. I know we spoke about Bob Murray, so we're going to leave him out of this one. But uh, you mentioned three names to me who I was particularly interested to hear. And 
after you're done, I'll just do three players who I looked up to growing up because obviously I'm not a former NHL player. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I think obviously my career path was a little different. So I played um, five and a half years in the minor uh, in the American League before I ever got my first NHL game. And I'll kind of come back to that in a second. But uh, once I got up uh, to the NHL and having a chance to crack the lineup in uh, the 06, 07 season, and just uh, basically I have two of the three playing beside two uh, Hall of Famers and uh, Scott Niedermeyer and Chris Pronger. I mean, it just through osmosis, just kind of um, being around those guys and uh, practicing with them and um, even seeing how they uh, basically prepare for games, how they practice, how they work out, how they take care of themselves, how they carry themselves just being around both of those guys in close proximity for a, a couple of years. Um, just basically a, br a blueprint of, of what you should be as a pro and, and how you should do things. So that's uh, two of the three. That's a, a pretty obvious one. The, the third one is kind of a, a little uh, an, an interesting story. It kind of um, basically starts out with the uh, probably the the lowest point of, uh, of my, my pro career um, up to uh, the apex of, of my pro career. It all happened in a span of about um, three years. And it was, it was all um, basically when I, I first uh, kind of met and played for Randy Carlyle. I was in the minors uh, the lockout year. I signed a, a one-way American Hockey League deal uh, to play for the Manitoba Moose in the the season where there was no uh, NHL, there was a lockout. So all the prospects were down um, for all the teams across the board. So uh, Manitoba was Vancouver's uh, farm team. So uh, when we talked about um, Bob Murray was, uh, was with the Vancouver organization. So I think that was a big reason why I just kind of got, got a little foot in the door there. Um, so yeah, I went to American League camp, um, basically made the team um, and the GM there, they were trying to figure out what to do with me. I basically was penciled in as the, the seventh defenseman there because all the Vancouver prospects were down. Um, so it was pretty obvious that I, they basically told me as much. They, they just said at the start of the season, it was uh, Craig, Craig Heisinger, who's still involved with the Winnipeg's organization. And uh, Randy basically told me a couple games in the season that you're, you're basically going to be a healthy scratch uh, until someone gets hurt. But we want to keep you around. We don't want to send you to the East Coast League. Uh, but just kind of work hard and, and be positive, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. So I was basically a healthy scratch in the American League from September through Christmas. I think I played maybe three or four games. Um, and then at uh, Christmas time, came back over Christmas break, we had a, um, a Russian kid who uh, obviously had some philosophical differences uh, with the Carlisle <laughs> coaching style and, uh, and ended up, he, uh, he'd had enough and he ended up going back to Russia at Christmas time. And that was the only reason that I, uh, I basically became the sixth defenseman on that team and um, got to play the second half. And I was paired with Kevin Bieksa. Oh, there you Duck go. fans will know well. So, uh, so yeah, that was a great, great playing with him, great player. Um, and uh, so yeah, we had a good second half and ended up having a good, good playoff run that year in, in Winnipeg. And 
obviously things are a little more concentrated so there's there's more uh, focus on the american league so there's more more least more highly scouted with no nhl so all the scouts are coming to the american league games so uh so had a good showing uh, coming down the stretch um, for Manitoba, and we made it to the conference finals, and so got got some good exposure. And then, um, basically, that summer was when uh, Brian Burke uh, got hired uh, with the Ducks. Bob Murray came over to the Ducks, and Randy was hired as head coach. So I signed. Uh, I was back on a two-way deal, um, basically. Uh, I think it was league minimum, uh, 2A, NHL, AHL. But I uh, was just just excited uh, to be back on the map and have that uh, two-way contract so get to go to an NHL camp. So uh, it's kind of dragging on. But I uh, basically had the next year played in the minors uh, in Portland. Yeah, we had a great season down there. Obviously had a, a loaded team. We even had uh, Perry and Getzloff came down <laughs> for like 15 games. So we had a phenomenal team and a great season. And then, uh, yeah, ended up re-signing with the Ducks uh, that summer. Almost ended up going to uh, Switzerland. Came back to camp and again got sent down and uh, spent the first half of the season down in Portland. But then at Christmas time, um, Sean O'Donnell got hurt for a couple games, and so I, I finally got the the call right at Christmas time to come and play my first NHL game. So so dream come true, and um, obviously Randy knew me from uh, playing in Manitoba. So um, he was always uh, yeah he he was tough. He was tough. He's demanding, and and uh, but yeah, I think he helped me a lot as a player, kind of take my game to a next level, and 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 figure out the, how hard I basically had to play and, and find that next gear of kind of compete and work ethic and uh, kind of what it was going to take for me to be an everyday NHL player. So to have that, people show that level of confidence in you and uh, to give you the opportunity, I'll always be grateful for that. There you go. So I'll just do my quick ones because I don't think anybody really cares about my childhood heroes. <laughs> but uh, uh, first one, I mean, obviously I grew up in New England, so I grew up a Bruins fan. Patrice Bergeron was the first guy where I was like, holy cow. I mean, he, he broke into the league when I was when I was 16 years old playing in high school. And it dawned on me that this kid was the same age as some of my teammates. And I was like, good Lord, like that guy is good. Just I mean, I look up to some of my teammates who were who were good in high school, and this kid's dominating NHL players at 18 years old. He was the first one who I really like I could identify with because yeah, we were close absolutely. to the same age, yeah. and he's become such a great player. The second one when I was younger was Steve Hines. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Steve Hines. Yeah, <laughs> I just liked his style of play. I mean, he was a physical guy, but he could score. I mean, he he was on the small side. I mean, he wasn't small, small, but he for that era he was kind of small. He wasn't afraid to fight. He was just kind of a. I think a fan favorite back then, but also I remember specifically Nesson aired like a montage of him playing to Green Day's When I Come Around, and I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I had a little oh, kid. Yeah, yeah, I was I was stoked. I was like, this is great. It kind of made partially, I mean, it was the earliest time where I thought like, well, maybe if I am not a professional athlete, which I did not become, uh, that I'd want to work in sports media. <laughs> um, so that, that was pretty cool. And Very kind cool. of cool, cool end to that story was uh, I was doing a, a, a project when I was in grad school about the growth of hockey in Southern California. And I wanted to interview a couple of coaches for, for the Ducks and Kings High School League. And I saw Steve Hines as the coach of the uh, Santa Barbara team. But I was like, man, that can't be the same Steve Hines. <laughs> so I emailed him. He got back to me. I, I interviewed him. And it 
sure enough, it was that Steve, one of my childhood nice. heroes, and he couldn't have been a nicer guy. Was so friendly and uh, informative. So that uh, it was good to kind of meet him after such a long time. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And then the last one, uh, it was he was a Ranger, but Mark Messier. That was when I really was old enough to start understanding the game of hockey when the Rangers won that Stanley Cup, and I was I was I think eight years old. And oh, the guarantee. Yeah, the guarantee and the hat trick and just blew that blew my mind. I mean, Mark Messier for, for at that time. Even though he wasn't on the team I, I rooted for, was like, I mean, he was a god. I considered him a god when I was that age, and um, I think many people still do. I remember always wanting to be number eleven in my youth hockey in my youth hockey team. So uh, he was number three for for my three stars. Very nice, nice, good choices. Thank you. Well, that that's gonna do it for episode four. Uh, stay tuned next week as we'll break down the three road games we spoke about earlier. And Kent, you got anything fun going on this week? This week, no. I think we're uh, just a pretty, pretty mellow one. Just more coffee here, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, be excited to watch these these duck games on the road here and, and take those in and see how the boys hold up. And as always, you can find us on the typical podcast networks uh, directories. It's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn, and at Believe.com. Don't be afraid to contact us at our social media accounts or rate us on iTunes. As always, you can find me at, at Delhi Tweets on Twitter. That's D-E-L-L-I-T-W-E-E-T-S. And Kent's social media. Yeah, Husverna on Instagram, H-U-S-K underscore V-E-R-N-A. And we're hoping in the next couple episodes to have some interviews for you for maybe some other podcasters, former players, uh, maybe some guys in Ducks Media. So we're working on that, and uh, hopefully soon enough, look forward to those interviews. So see you next week. All right, see you guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.